You've tuned in to Check on Your Mates, a limited series podcast dedicated to men's mental health. How has the perception of well-being evolved for men over the years? How have veterans, athletes, physicians, and other leaders coped and inspired other men in their careers? Listen in as your host, Katie McSweeney, talks with them about their pivotal moments, the trials and the triumphs on Check on Your Mates. Here's Katie. Welcome to Check on Your Mates. I have with me here today a very special guest, Clint Bruce. He's a former NFL player and also a former Navy SEAL turned entrepreneur. So, Clint, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, today. my pleasure. My pleasure. You have yeah. a you have a really important mission, and it's something that's easy to be a part of, and excited to to build into. So, yeah, I'm happy to be here. No, I super appreciate that. You've had some great conversations with some folks in Dallas over the last few days. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah. it's been really great. I mean, it's my first time in Texas, and I'm like, wait, I kind of want to move here. Yeah, it's it just, happens. It, yeah, Texas has that effect. <laughs> it sure does. So, but I'm happy to be here. Today, we're here to talk about men's mental health specifically. As a lot of you know, it's a silent national crisis with 79% of men making up the suicides in the United Mm. States. And that number has only increased 2022 alone. um, More men have died by suicide than any year. This Mm. includes World War II and just any event in the past. So it's really a catastrophe. And just hearing from a really inspirational man like yourself will help so many people and super appreciate you oh, making cool. the time. But yeah, it's cool. And, and, I, and I think what's fun is like, if you look at my pedigree and kind of like, oh, that's a super talented guy. It's really not. I mean, I'm much more of an everyman than most people think. Yeah. I just try hard. And, 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 and that's this repeatable skill that anybody else can have, right? And I think one of the reasons sometimes men tap out of kind of this mm-hmm. life is is they overestimate the the significance of talent. And and I'm a fly in the ointment of talent as the winning argument, right? I, I, I jokingly call myself the achieving average. <laughs> I'm an I'm an achieving average, but I'm not I'm not an average achiever. What that means, um, if you to aggregate all my gifts and abilities You'd find me to be a high C or a low B and just about everything except for looks. I'm a good looking guy. <laughs> just is what it is. You know, I, my laugh, my wife laughed too when I say that, which is hurtful. No, I'm joking. No, no but, just being but, but, the, but the way, <laughs> but the way I look at it is the mountain makes all men and women average if you're aiming high enough. Hmm. And if you don't start climbing with angles and allies and advantages, you won't make it very far. And talent's an advantage, but it's only one third of the equation. And, and it's not that it's not important. It's not just the most important thing, right? So if you have angles, meaning constantly refining your craft, getting better at what it is you do. If you have allies, meaning you surround yourself with people who mean what they say as much as you do. And then you maximize whatever talent, treasure, and time that you have, then you're going to win. But if all you have is talent and I've got angles and allies, I'm going to win. And so I think so many men, and not just men, I think everybody in particular kind of under underestimates their ability to be successful just because they're willing to hurt more, try hard, and do it for longer than competition, right? Talent, not thinking you have enough talent is um, never the reason to not try anything. And I'm an example of what happens when you just try, right? Uh, The upper half of the bottom third of everything I've done, but there, right? So does that make sense? No, absolutely. And it was surprising for me to learn, too, just throughout interviewing several men, that men also suffer from imposter syndrome. Because it's something that women are open about, but I feel like men kind of suffer in silence about that, of feeling not enough. And every girl that I talk to can relate. I think imposter syndrome is a is a human phenomenon, right? So so every gender is going to experience that, especially when you've... When you're chasing somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you have these iconic personalities in your life that you've lived with, or you've watched. I mean, all of us are mimics to an extent, right? right? I mean, you know, all of us are aggregates of what we've seen and what we've done and who we've been around. We're composites of these people that built into us or these people that we watch from afar, right? So in some ways, we can't help but struggle with that imposter syndrome because we're not the complete version of that. But we never should have been in the first place. Mm-hmm. And kind of with our facility right around the corner, we call it the high ground. And one of the reasons I call the high ground is the high ground is where you always want to be. And on the maps that I've lived on, the ball field, the battlefield, the boardroom, and the breakfast table, what I've realized in my almost 50 years of life is the way you get to the high ground is the same whatever map you're on. You find and follow the right people to the right places, and you become your version of what you love about them. Not them Mm 2.0, your version of what you love most about them. 
And so being imprinted on and, and, and being a reflection of someone who built into you um, is a really, really powerful thing. And really the only way you get anything done. Um, but then we got to shelve this belief that because we're not exactly like them or we're not exactly who everybody thinks we are, that we're imposters. Mm. Um, and, and that's kind of how I've reconciled that. You know, the, the whole um, people are, you know, you're never enough. I'm like, well, what is enough? Like, yeah. if you're never enough, what is enough? And then mm. how far from that are you? And what most people really can't articulate is what enough is. And if you don't know yeah. what enough is, how are you not enough? I love that. Yeah, so that's really well said. Yeah. But obviously you've gone through several careers more than yeah. a lot of people can say they've done in a lifetime at your young age now. I mean, yeah. it's incredible. But what would you say um, in terms of awareness for men's mental health specifically? How has that changed throughout your career? Multiple careers. One of the things I've, I've, I'm excited to see is the recognition of mental health as a performance factor. Like once we recognize it's a performance factor, we're much more comfortable going, hey, I need to improve that element of performance. So like, hey, speed is a performance factor. Am I fast enough? Can I get faster? If not, how do I get faster? When we recognize mental health as a performance factor and that staying mentally fit will help you perform regardless of what you're doing, then it becomes a kind of a, 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 a fitness meter vice and indictment on whether you're strong or weak or you know, all these other things, right? So the fact that it's being considered a, perf a performance lens, we can talk about it more freely, right? It's mm -hmm. not a weakness thing. It's a, hey, am I, have I, what have I done to increase my mental resilience and my mental strength? And we, and we should be asking it with the same conversational ease that we're going to like, hey, how do I make my bench stronger, my squat stronger? How do I run faster? How do I swim faster? So for me, the elements of, of, of performance, mental, mental fitness is part of it. And so mental health is kind of a part of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I like that it's become considered, it's not a morality, not a virtue thing. Mm -hmm. It's a performance thing. And if you want to perform at a high level, then you have to take care of yourself mentally. What does that look like mentally? And everybody's story is a little bit different, but transparency and authenticity, you know, I've said this before, authenticity is what you call vulnerability when you're not scared. When you're not scared, it's called authenticity. When you are scared, it's called vulnerability. But it's the same thing. And there's nothing wrong with being scared, you know? Absolutely. So I don't have issues with fear. I've told my daughters, mm -hmm. I have three daughters. And there's, I'm a words guy, and, and, and I don't mean to get wrapped around the axe, but I don't like the word fearless. I just don't like it. It's one of the best books uh, ever about any SEAL I know named Adam Brown. It's an incredible book called Fearless. But it's, for me, fear is a signal, mm -hmm. like a traffic light, like a stop sign. And what you do after that signal is, is, is what I wrestle with with my girls. And I say, hey, the word I don't like is afraid. Like, I want you to be unafraid. I want you to be fearless. I want you to pay attention to what's going on around you. But I want you to be unafraid. And when you hit a fear moment, there's really only two roads you can go on. There's the low road called afraid. And the high road is being ready. And the way to be ready is training teammates, resources, plans, technology, all these other things. And, and so my idea is like unafraid, be unafraid. And, and, and how do we handle that? And how do we work through that, right? So, so for me, talking about it is, I tell guys all the time, it's okay to not be okay. It's a, but you can't stay not okay. Right. It's also okay to be okay. Like sometimes everybody thinks they have to have something bad going on because everybody else has something going on. I was like, hey, it's okay to be okay. It's okay yeah. to not be okay. It's not okay to stay not okay, right? That's true. So how do we do that? No, absolutely. Now, I listened to that podcast where you were talking about vulnerability is when there is fear present. Yeah. Authenticity is when you're unafraid. Yeah, and, but it's the same thing. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's like, hey, you know, are you running because you want to be in shape? You're running because there's a bear chasing you. Like, sure. Either way, there's going to be value in run. Run both absolutely. times. Run both times, right? Yeah. But so for me, it's, you know, whether there's authenticity, whether there's vulnerability, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It's whatever helps you get to this high ground, um, that's what you need to be doing. Yeah. In conversations like this. Absolutely. Uncomfortable, awkward conversations. Not this is <laughs> this is what I'm saying. It's like right. you know, Galatians six nine says, Do not go where you're doing what's right and atomic harvest and it benefits. So what mm -hmm. is right? And then you just do it and you do it till it feels right. I had this great coach in high school. He said, Clint, do what's right because it's right till it feels right. 
Mm. And then, you know, in the most elite elements of performance, you know, I've, I've, I've played college football, I've played briefly in the NFL, I've been on the SEAL teams, right? Mm -hmm. One of the things that's so fascinating and exciting now is that every one of these really elite terrains of performance, there's a mental health professional embedded into the organization. Wow. They recognize it. You know, that's yeah. one of the things I, I mean, if you just want to feel good about life, just watch Ted Lasso. It's just one of the, I love it's that. just, oh, it's such a good show. <laughs> so good. But the integration of mental health professionals into that, that that's not Hollywood. Every, mm -hmm. some of my closest, Eric Potterat is one of the most brilliant men in the world. And he was the head psychiatrist for the SEAL teams and his book's coming out in February, but we knew that, hey, straight head, straight aim, right? So I, I love where it is now and, and that not only, not only is it okay to talk about, it's a performance thing. If you wanna be good, be mentally fit. Yeah, that's so. a really healthy way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm so impressed with you, Clint, just that you have such a strong mentality and continue to do so. I mean, I can't imagine what it was like integrating after serving. Would you yeah, mind elaborating a little bit sure, about that? Yeah. What resources were there yeah, for you? Yeah, so that's, that's one of the ways, and that's why I use that map analogy a lot. Like, mm -hmm. one of the questions I get asked all the time, especially by young men, kind of given my background, is, like, hey, what's your favorite gun? Mm -hmm. And I always slow down. I go, are you asking what my favorite gun is or what my favorite weapon is? Mm -hmm. And they'll kind of go, it's the same thing. I'm like, no, it's not. A gun is a, a, gun is a tool. Mm -hmm. A weapon is what I use to win. I love that. My favorite weapon is a map. Because if I have a map, I have everything. I know where the bad guy will be. I know what to come in, what to bring, what to leave. I know how to get home. And if I have a map, the worst I'll ever be is wrong. Mm -hmm. But I won't be lost. And wrong and lost wow. are different. They're different animals. I've been both. I've been wrong and I've been lost. I don't like them both. But if you're wrong, I mean, being lost is terrifying. If you're, if you're, if you're lost, any move mm -hmm. could be wrong. But if you're wrong, it's just a matter of realizing it, remembering where you said you'd go, availing yourself to the wisdom of those who've been where you say you want to go, to the uh, who are there now, and the camaraderie of those who want to get there as badly as you do. And then you just do the work, right? And so for me, kind of like I said earlier, when I described my life, I've lived on the ball field, the battlefield, the boardroom, and the breakfast mm -hmm. table. And, and so those are literal seasons of my life. You know, the, the, the ball field as an athlete, the battlefield as a member of the military, the boardroom as an entrepreneur. The breakfast table is the most important map, and, and we're born onto one, and then we mm -hmm. build one. Uh, the breakfast table is where I'm building and leading a family that loves me yeah. and that matters to others. But so for me, when I began to look at transitioning from one map to the other, um, it began to make more sense. I mean, the reality is, is we would never invade a country. If you look at coming from the ball field to the boardroom, the mm -hmm. private sector as an invasion, we would never invade a country the way we invade the boardroom from the battlefield or the ball field, right? We just, yeah. we just don't do the work that we would do. And the question is why? Well, there's no good reasons. So all we have to do is replicate what we already knew how to do. Hey, how do I get a train familiarization? How do I better understand industries, right? How did I get good? on the ball field, how to get good on the battlefield. And I've already said this, the way I got, the way I got to the high ground on any of those maps is I found them follow the right people to the right places. In sports and military, it's a little bit easier because those are assigned to you. There's kind of like this infrastructure that you step into, right? You know, as, as, as an athlete, you got a coach, you got position guys in ahead of you in your position that are a couple of years older. And, and in the military, you step in and there's your senior listed and there's your chief. and. In the in the private sector, you have to build that, and it took me longer to realize I had to build it. But once I realized it, I started building it, and I started figuring out what do I know how to do that the men and women I want to be around and learn from need. Like, how do I add value to them so I can earn the right to ask the dumb question? And all questions feel dumb until you realize everybody's got the same questions. So either everybody's dumb, or it's not a dumb question, right? Yeah, there's no such thing as a dumb question. No, just the one yeah. you asked again because you didn't listen the first time, right? That's but true. Other than that, well said. But, but I mean, everybody's everybody's got questions, man, yeah. and earn the right to ask them, and then take notes and just make new mistakes. Yeah. And it took me far too long to remember that how I got to the high ground on the ball field, the battlefield would, would work in the boardroom again, mm -hmm. and at the breakfast table. I don't have a father. My father died when I was young. I'm so sorry. And I, you know, my daughters can't afford mistakes, right? So I would find guys at church. I'd run up guys at church like, hey, your daughter didn't hate you. Like, how do you do that? And I would ask questions. Oh. So my wife would like, he doesn't mean anything. He's just very intense, right? But I was like, your teenage daughter doesn't hate you. How do you do that? Give me, give me, give me the, give me the, she's holding your hand. How do you do that? But I'd literally ask guys, I'm like, your daughter doesn't hate you. How do you do that? Yeah, like, and then I'd take notes and then I'd do that. I love that. So it wasn't really, it's, it's, it's very simple. It's not easy. Right. Right. 
And we got to make sure we're not standing in the way, our ego, our pride, our fear, mm -hmm. standing in the way of, of, of letting it be as simple as it ought to be. Hey, you have a great relationship with your daughters. Yeah. How'd you do that? Was it accidental or intentional? I don't know <laughs> any relationships that are accidentally awesome. That's true. That's so really well said. What are the intentional things that you did that I can do? Yeah. And then I do them. Right. So it's just like going to the weight room. You know, how'd you get strong? I'll do your workout until I come up with my own. Yeah. So I did it as a father, how I try to do it as a businessman. And um, I just got to make sure I'm not in my own way. I love that. No, that's super well said. If people were as intentional with relationships around them, whether that's family, friends, work relationships, partnerships, marriage, yeah, then the world would be a better place because people yeah. just don't really want to put in the work sometimes. And well, and they expect more of themselves yeah. than they really realistically ought to. I'm not about settling. I'm not about making it easy for yourself. Absolutely. But there's a very clear moment when I was really struggling as an entrepreneur, as a business person, and externally everybody would think I was doing great, right? Mm -hmm. But I knew it was so much harder for me than it should have been. So what am I doing, right? Right. But then I remember sitting back and going, well, hold on, Clint. If you're going to be honest with yourself, be all the way honest with yourself. Yeah. How long did it take you to be a very good football player? Were you very good the minute you started playing? No. Like I wasn't. Like I loved football way before football loved me. It probably took me six or seven years to become a really good football player. Wow. All right, in the, in the SEAL teams, how long did it take me? Were you, were you great the first day you showed up? No, right? <laughs> so it took me four to five years to six years to be really good at the craft. Yet in year three of being an entrepreneur, I'm expecting myself to perform at this elite level. Well, hold on, Clint. Like, if it took you six to seven years to be great at anything that was in 44, why shouldn't it take you six to seven years to be great at this too? So being realistic with ourselves and, mm -hmm. and understanding that's the thing about imposter syndrome. Uh, I tell my, my daughters this all the time. Like, if you're going to compare anything, compare everything. Oh, and once God. you compare everything, you might just realize you're where you need to be. Right? Yeah. You know, you want to compare the house, then compare the loveless marriage. You know, you're going to compare the neat car, uh, compare the fact that that father's never there. Right. And, and so when you compare everything, most of the time you just realize you're, you're kind of where you need to be and all things being equal, right? And, you know, there's these people that we think have so many more advantages than us. And then you sit down and you talk to them and they're dealing with heartbreak on one of those maps that we didn't have to deal with, right? Mm -hmm. so, so one of the best ways to wage war with imposter syndrome is to compare everything if you're going to compare anything. And what you will find is there's something about that person's life that they've endured, that they've overcome, that you wouldn't wish on anybody to include yourself. That's true. And, and, and then you just kind of like, okay, here I am, where I am, doing what I'm supposed to do, let's get back to work. That's really well so, said. It's everybody's own race. Right? Yeah. There's no, you, I told my daughters this one time, I wrote this on their wall, my whole deal is like, you're competing with yesterday's you. That's it. It's you versus yesterday's you, right? Mm -hmm. and if you are greater than or equal to yesterday's you, then you won today. Yeah. And my daughter came up to her, she's like, Dad, I love that. I go, thank you. She goes, you did the arrow wrong. So technically, <laughs> you, did, you are less than or equal to yesterday. I'm like, you know what I'm saying. Like, just switch the arrow around. But my whole deal is like, just be bet greater than or equal to yesterday's you. And you win. Yeah. So. No, on another podcast, I heard you saying, or I heard the guest saying that they wanted you to hold them accountable to be vulnerable or in your words, authentic. Yeah. And yeah, something I'm struggling with is it's imposter syndrome, but kind of against myself, like before grief, I don't know. I, I pride myself on being a good friend and being mm -hmm. there for people. And I still, to this day, just get anxiety about being a bad friend. Like if I'm sure. slow to reply to people and I'm, and they're like, no, you're a great friend. Like you went through so much yeah. just yeah. during, especially it's been a year and a half now, but yeah. right after everything happened, I just was convinced that I was a bad friend and it's something that I still worry about. Yeah. So I can totally relate to, you know, just taking it day by day and knowing that you're doing sure. your best and what is perfect, you know, sure. what is being a perfect friend? Well, think about this too. Um, only the good wrestle with guilt. That's true. Only the good struggle with guilt. Actually, that's really well said. So if the you, sociopath wouldn't if you struggle <laughs> about with that. guilt. It's an it's it's indicative of your goodness, right? Right. Only the good struggle with guilt. Mm -hmm. And so I tell people like that are wrestling with guilt. I'm like recognize that as as evidence of your goodness, right? If you didn't have any guilt, you, you, like you said, the sociopath doesn't care, right? Yeah. So and it's not 
I'm not necessarily justifying guilt or saying like uh, rest in guilt mm-hmm. or kind of, I'm just saying like if you wrestle with guilt, it means you're good because only the good wrestle with guilt. And so build from there, build from the fact that you have a goodness in you that makes you wish you would have done something different, better, more, mm-hmm. longer, whatever, right? And I always tell people, shame is the shovel that Satan will use to bury you. Yeah. I don't have issues with regret. Regret's That's okay. Good. Regret's, I wish I would have, I wish I wouldn't have. Regret is what happens when we mine that mistake for everything of value, right? Yeah. As, as we look at it in time. Regret is investing time to mine that mistake in anything that will help you or anybody else do something better. Mm-hmm. Shame is every second after that. Every second you get that mistake after you've mined it for whatever value you can get out of it, that's shame. And shame has no value. There, there, there's no intrinsic value to shame. There's no value proposition. There's nothing that gets better because of it. All you're doing with shame is stealing time from yourself mm-hmm. and others. So regret's okay. That's why we watch film and football. Yeah. Hey, don't do that. Do that again, right? And, and um, but shame, shame is a thief. No, it absolutely is. And it is, is the shovel that Satan loves to use to bury us. Yeah, to attack. Yeah, yeah. And he attacks the strong. 100%. Yeah. I was telling you, if you're, not getting shit, if you're not getting shot at, no one's worried about you. That's true. It's like, you don't want to be the guy that's like, hey, why is no one, like, I don't love getting shot at, right. but I also don't like not being shot at by all, at all. It's like being a receiver that no one covers. Like, hey, true. hey I'm open. And the quarterback's like, I know. Yeah. I know you're open. There's a reason you're open. So I'm going to throw it to you. You're not going to catch it. Like, if no one's covering you and you're a receiver, you got to ask yourself some questions. Like, why are they not covering yeah, me? Like, because they're not worried. Right? Mm. So, does that wow. make sense? Yeah, that makes so much sense. Good. Yeah, it's really well said. And that actually kind of brings me to my next question. Sure. What's a risky choice that you made that you're glad that you made? All of them. I mean, is it being, that's the hardest question yeah. to answer because I mean, that's kind of my thing. I kind of go where I don't know. Like, yeah. you know, I get to go speak to a lot of companies and stuff like that. And, and I have this, this kind of presentation called pursuing elite. I love that. What pursuing elite says is there's really only five outcomes mm-hmm. to anything that matters. And if it's not on the map, it doesn't matter. It's not on the ball field, battlefield board and breakfast table. It doesn't matter. And so for me, there's really only five outcomes. There's bad, average, good, excellent, and elite. And most of life is about what, what outcomes you're willing to accept from yourself and others on these maps that matter most to you, right? And so for me, there's a difference between being excellent and being elite. And the difference is, are you done or are you not done yet? You know, there's nothing wrong with excellence. Excellence is this place on a map that you get to. Elite is this mythical ridgeline, this gravity that just makes you want to see what else you can do. So you can use your time. Like, we want to steward our time. The worst thing we can ever do is waste of time those we love and miss no longer have. So we have yeah. to use our time, right? Like you're doing with this. Mm-hmm. And what I tell people is like the qualities that I've seen on the maps that I've lived on of the most elite people I've been around, are, there's five of them, and I call them the pursuit points. And elites are balanced, they're curious, they're tribal, they're intentional, and they're authentic. And curiosity, for me, um, like, so those pursuit points, it's not a math equation. It's not this plus this plus this plus this plus this. What they are is, I look at them as five lanes on the interstate to where we think is most important for us, right? But I will tell you, if you get curiosity right, it kind of it sets everything else in motion. And for me, I define curiosity as, there's really four things. Curiosity is courage. It's courage because the reason we don't ask questions is fear. So I'm almost a 50-year-old man. I'm somewhat accomplished. I've done some things. Yeah. When I'm a room so full much. of people that I respect and I admire, to this day, I have a knot in the pit of my stomach when I have a question. Because I'd rather they think they already know. I'd, I'd, I'd rather them think I already know, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm afraid of the answer. I'm afraid of the work that comes with the answer. I'm afraid of admitting myself I don't know. I'm afraid of what you'll think about me if I don't, I don't know. Well, that's fear. Right. So when you see someone doing this, you know they have courage. Because that's all courage is, is action in the face of fear. So the first thing is curiosity is courage. The second thing is curiosity is a creator. Every great thing in my life, every great thing in my life, I can reverse engineer to a question that scared me. Wow. I wonder if I can. I wonder if she will. Wow. I wonder. Every great thing in my life, I can reverse engineer to a question. that The greatest things in my life go back to a question that scared me. Like, I wonder if I can make it in the NFL. I wonder if I can make it in the SEAL teams. I wonder if I can start a company. I wonder if she'll say yes. I wonder if all these other things with my bride, right? And so that, that, 
curiosity is a creator. It's courage. It's a creator. Curiosity is a catalyst. Whatever that next level is of performance, curiosity is going to reveal that faster than anything else, right? That 1% performance difference doesn't find you. Mm-hmm. Serendipity is not a strategy. It's great, but it's not a strategy. And, and then curiosity is a complacency killer, and complacency is a killer. So for me, um, I, I think maybe the best habit I have, and it's a cultivated habit, is I ask myself and other people a lot of questions. And the, the more nervous the questions make me, the more points I give myself wow. on this way that we measure ourselves at the end of every day, right? And so for me, like, I, my daughters have known this for years. I told them, like, hey, here's how I measure your weeks. Every week, ask three people you don't know. Ask three people you already know one question you've ever asked them for. And ask one person you don't know three questions every week. And my daughters are famous for the way they ask questions and who they ask questions. Because I also want my daughters to be the ones that go, hey, why are we doing this? Why are we going here? Right? And, and like, for me, my, my daughter's like, here, here's going to happen. My daughter's going to be on a date with some blue-eyed baby-kissing quarterback. <laughs> and they're going to ask two questions. And the first one is this. Hey, stud, why is your hand on my thigh? They're going to ask that Boom. question. And then the second question is, have you ever been punched in the throat? Why is your hand on my thigh? Have you ever been punched in the throat? My girl's going to ask some questions. Because they're courageous. I love that. But you can train for courage. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I will tell you this. The, 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 when you're about to ask a question in a room full of people that you respect and admire, that knot in the pit of your stomach is the exact same knot when that ramp cracks open at 20,000 feet and you're about to jump out. It's the same sensation, right? Now, at 20,000 feet, it stays there longer, and, and, and you feel but, but the phenomenon's the same, right? Mm-hmm. And some of that has to do with the brain. You know, Again, I, I tell my daughters these things, and, 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 I, and the reason I preface it with that is to the listeners and the viewers here, like, if, if, if I tell my daughters this, you know I believe it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the thing I'll measure myself by for the rest of my life. And what I tell my daughters is the human machine has four performance systems, the body, the brain, the mind, and the soul, right? This is not medical. <laughs> this is my <laughs> assumption. The body, and the, the analogy I use is the body's a car, the brain is a steering wheel, the mind is a driver, and the soul is this inherent sense of destination. The body and the brain are just machines, just like a car, they're machines. And when we focus on mental health, we build a mind that can impose its will on the body and the brain, or can remind the body and the brain that everything's gonna be okay. These are, these are you can cultivate mental strength just like you can cultivate leg strength in the gym. And for me, curiosity has mm. been that squat rack. Curiosity is that bench. Curiosity is that deadlift. I can literally metric the, because every time you ask a question, you're repping that courage muscle, mm-hmm. which is important because courage moments don't announce themselves. Courage moments are always ambushes. And, but you can train for them. You can train not to not feel that fear stimulus, but to not be afraid of it, right? Okay, mm-hmm. I'm uncomfortable. What do I do? I start asking questions. What do I ask questions? The question that scares me most or the person that scares me the most? Like you will almost always benefit from who do I ask? If I ask the person I scare them, that scares me the most, the mm-hmm. question that scares me the most, at minimum, you can look at yourself as a brave person later on that day. You know? Wow. I tell people, run at the dogs, man, because sometimes the dog's scared too. Yeah. That dog's chasing you, trying to run at that dog. <laughs> sometimes that dog goes like, what, what? Like, I'm not... I'm not used to people running at me, right? So right, like, maybe the dog's true. scared too. Maybe the dog will flinch, right? But run at the hard stuff. Because a lot of times the hard stuff doesn't have a plan either. Yeah. You know? No, that's really well said. So. No, that's awesome. And I love your analogy too of how mental strength should be a measurement too and how that is also something that you need to train. And you can make it stronger and you can train yeah. it. Metric it, measure it, make it better. And I tell you this, anybody who's watching this and listening to this, it probably won't think it probably won't take you too long to remember something that scared you that you never thought you'd make it through and you never thought it would end. And all of a sudden you're like, well, I did make it. It did end. It it hurt, but not for as long as as much as I thought it would. Yeah. And so in that instance, history, past performance is an indication of future performance, right? If, mm-hmm. You know. What else have you already made it through that you never thought you'd make it through? True. And because you can say that, you have the ability to say, maybe I might make it through this too. Yeah. So. Yeah, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary yeah. problem. And 
I've just noticed a trend in my personal life, at least in my network, that by age like 25 to 30, men have lost several buddies or at least one or had some sort of connection by then. And it's normalized and it's unfortunate. And I had to be the bearer of the bad news. Um, My last boyfriend, Cameron, passed away by suicide. Mm. And I had to notify some of his friends. Mm. And a lot of their response was the same. They said, Katie, I have lost so many people. I can't even. Mm. And it's all guys that they've lost. And of course, girls too. But there's so many resources for women. And I also um, think girls commune better. Yes, absolutely. Like I can have a friend call me at any hour. I won't think anything of it. I will pick up. Absolutely. She can call me crying, no judgment, and we'll speak to her for hours. And we have that way of communicating. Obviously, men and women communicate completely different. But when um, you're given the brain yeah. less uncertainty to consider when it was, you know, I tell people all the time, I go, Hey, how you doing? And they tell me good. I'm like, prove it. Like, what do you mm-hmm. mean prove it? Like, how you doing? Good. Prove it. I'm like what? <laughs> prove, like, it. prove it. I love that. Like prove it. Tell me, tell me the last good thing that happened on the ball field, battlefield, boardroom, breakfast, stable. Give me something good that happened. And people sit back and go, well, this good thing happened. This good thing happened. I was like, okay, cool. But I, I make people prove it. I'm, I'm not into people. I'm not into people telling me they're doing good and, yeah. and, and just accepting that at face value. But it's, what's really fun wow. is one of two things happens when I say prove it. Either they can, mm-hmm. or they can't, and we talk. But I'm like, "How are you doing? I'm good, man. All right, prove it. Let me prove it. Prove it." Tell me what's good. Tell me what's good to happen on the ball field, battlefield, boardroom, and breakfast table. Then I celebrate that with them. Wow. Or I remind us, like, hey, man, didn't you just win something? <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. The world hits us the way it does. Or they're like, very rarely has someone gone, I can't. I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about that. Let's find, let's find something that we can be excited about or look forward to, right? But I'm, how you doing? Prove it. It's what I do. That just gave me chills. It's an amazing takeaway for listeners, too. Like, yeah. when you check on your buddies, because a lot of Cameron's friends, they were like, yeah, like, I checked on him, like, a month ago and thought, you know, everything was cool. And a lot of people were blindsided, including yeah. myself. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you've seen this video. I'll link it for you and also listeners. But there's a English football video and basically these guys are in the audience and it's talking about men's mental health and the happy guy ends up being the empty seat at the Mm -hmm. end and it's always the happiest people a lot of times not always the case that choose to hide it well i also think men have an habit like we have a habit of answering what we want the answer to be yeah i'm good because i want to be good Right. I want it to be good. I'm, I'm convincing myself I'm good. I don't yeah. want to be a burden to you. So I tell guys like, you're not lying when you tell me you're good. You, you just, you're just not, you're just wrong. No, 100%. Right? Like, I was like, Hey, you're not, no one's a liar when I say I'm doing good. I'm yeah. just telling you I want to be doing good. I'm like, cool. And one of the ways you can remember that you're doing good is by, I mean, literally, if you think about it, Hey, what's the last good thing that happened? Yeah. And that's why the maps are important to me because it allows me to kind of partition and, not not compartmentalized, but at, offer a framework. I can I, I I can find something positive on one of those. The way I run the maps now in my life is the ball field is take care of myself mentally and physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, the battlefield is protect those who've been entrusted to me morally, mentally, spiritually, and physically. The boredom is provide for those who've been entrusted to me, and the breakfast table is raise a family that loves me and that matters to others. I love that. And so I look at every one of those things like, okay, you know, I don't remember a day where something where I failed on all four of those maps. Yeah. Sometimes it's three maps. I suck at three, but I got one right. But that's enough to hang on to, right? And oh, by the way, I probably didn't suck at the other three as much as I thought I did. I'm just yeah. really hard on myself. But the more visual I can make it, the more evidence-based I can make it in a relative evidence that matters to me, the more it works, right? Absolutely. But yeah, how you doing? Good. Prove it. Prove it. I think that's a great takeaway a lot of people can take with them. Yeah. Prove it. And then if they kind of stumble, remind them. And then remind them why they have reasons to celebrate. Yeah. And if they can't, like, hey, let me, let's do one. Like, one, yeah. you just won. You just won on yes. the ball field right now because now we're talking about something you didn't know you could talk about with somebody you didn't know you could talk to. That's a huge win Absolutely. on the ball field of life, right? Yeah. So now you got something, right? So... Um. Yeah, I'm. I'm I, I try to be pretty practical, pretty intentional, right? Yeah. And um, I t- tell people talking about it doesn't always help. Talking through it always does. Just like tackling, hit mm-hmm. through them, not to them. 
You hit, you hit to a guy, he may bounce off. You hit through a guy, he's probably going to go down. Everything goes back to football. All goes back to football. No, I love that analogy. Hit through them, not to it. Yeah, hit through it, not to it. And I was like, hey, let's not get to the problem. Just walk away. Let's go through it. Yeah. Because that, that's the thing about being old. <laughs> I'll probably You're not old. Don't probably, say that. Probably You're not made it. to say that. <laughs> I, say it, I say it proudly. I'm like, you know, it's in the Bible. Like, a silver hair is a man's glory, right? And so, like, for me, I'm like, hey, man, it is, it, like my, I think my superpower is I have the uncanny ability to survive my own mistakes and just make new ones. And what I found is I'm extremely gifted at making mistakes. I can make mistakes, and I don't think anybody's ever just like, you tried that? I'm like, yeah, I know. I tried it. It's dumb. But, you know, I just make new ones. So I take notes, and I tell these guys, like, hey, man, it's, it's, it's I'm not diminishing what you're going through. I just want you to know that people have made it through it before, right? And, and because they have, you can too, if you're willing to do the work that they did or your own version of that, right? Yeah. But a lot of times that conversation starts with, man, how you doing? Good. Prove it. And then more often than not, when you go through the work of figuring out why you think you're doing good, you'll find out you're closer to good than you thought you were. Yeah. But it doesn't mean everything's okay. I'm not about rose-colored glasses. Right. And, and, and you know, uh, Seneca says we fear an imagination uh, far more than reality, right? So when you start talking about the problem, the problem becomes real. It becomes mm. tangible, and, and now you can kill it, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know. Yeah, and I feel like that's why I'm able to do this podcast now, too, just during my grieving after I lost Cam. I just did not drink at all. I moved back to my parents. I was in my childhood bed. I went through the worst of it, and it was horrible. It was not fun, but I felt everything I needed to feel to the fullest so it could best serve others now. Yeah, And that's why I'm able to be where I am now because I just completely went through everything wrong. Yeah, because emotions are real. I mean, I tell people emotions are like water. Water is the strongest force on the planet like mm-hmm. you can't beat it right right and water always wins like you know and what i tell you is like emotions are like water it's gonna get out absolutely it's gonna get out as steam you're gonna stuff mm-hmm. it then you're just gonna cook off it's gonna get out as ice you're just gonna ice the world out or it's gonna come out as water you know, sure. tears emotions and absolutely. You just dose it out um but it, but but water always wins you, know, you got to find a way to, to to distribute it through the system. Yeah, absolutely. Because I knew it would just haunt me later if I just didn't, yeah. you know, face yeah. it head on. And I'm 100%. so grateful that I did and had my family. That's great to that you had support. an infrastructure kind of retreat into. I'm, and absolutely, yeah. and I recognize everyone doesn't have that, so that's why it's so important to find a support system. Everybody can build their version is. of it for sure. Absolutely. Like I don't have a dad. I haven't had a dad most yeah. of my life, right? So I could use that as, as an excuse to, to be a crap father, or I can find guys. I can remember mm-hmm. what I can about my dad and find guys that are doing it well, right? So it's either an excuse or fuel, like which of the two, right? And I own that choice, right? Yeah. I'm not I'm not a big fan of the victimhood thing, man. Like guys complain in special operations. Oh, like there's no victims in special operations. I mean, look what we did. Like we tried real hard to get here. It's just hard, right? right. So, and I got to remind myself of that too. Um, but whatever infrastructure you don't have, it, it can be made available to you in some form or version of it, in some percentage of it, right? And that's mm-hmm. what we have to do. We have to assemble those things for ourselves. And, yeah. And, and, and uh, because we can't say that things weren't available because they are. How are you kind of able to find that support system? And what advice would you give to listeners who are looking to find a mentor or further support system? Man, I just, I've have always that? been real... I've always been really aggressive about mm-hmm. it, you know, and I was kind of raised on a football field where you always yeah. have more than one coach and all these True. other things and you have defensive coordinators. So I just, I just knew in the, in the peak version of my prior self and all these other things, what I had was this infrastructure, these mentors, these teammates, all these other things. So replicating that in the private sector was very natural for me. Um, because I recognize as key to any success I had earlier and at the breakfast table, it became like, all right, well, who's my head coach as a dad? Who's the guy that's a little bit further than me? And I'm like, well, you know, I'll just go find a guy. Hey, how are you doing that, right? And people love, I love sharing my scars, man, because when I share my scars, it, it I, these guys have heard me say it a hundred times. They could probably finish the story for you if I don't. <laughs> I go, hey, listen, you own your scars, your scars own you. And you know you own them if you can talk about them. If you can talk about them, you own them. If you can't, they own you. Yeah. And that's where I tell people, it's like, man, do you own your scars, your scars own you? I love that. And, 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 and so for me, the way you own scars is you make them available to other people, right? And like, hey, mm-hmm. don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, right? Um, 
and, and again, there's a there's a form of like there's redemption in that. Like right. you, there's no time machine. Like you don't get to when I keep a man from making a mistake that I made. I don't go back to when I made that mistake, but I do claw that back. I claw that that time is redeemed. What was a minus eight in my life is now maybe a minus six, maybe a minus four because I didn't let other people do it. So redemption matters, and mentoring is an interesting form of redemption. It, it's it's how you it's how you steal from shame when you, mm-hmm. you steal time back from shame when you when you make your scars available to other people they lose their power over you they okay. just become a page in the book you know amongst thousands of pages right oh, it puts so it in context said. so that's so well said and that's actually been a common theme of just everyone i've interviewed so far is just being authentic um not vulnerable because that comes from fear, but authentic. Well, but vulnerability is fine too. Yes. Like it's okay. It's okay to be afraid. Like That's you know, I'm, 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 I've had fear before I do anything great. I just yeah. don't stay on fear. Absolutely. I, unafraid is like be unafraid, but yeah. fear is okay. Fear is natural. That's true. You know. Yeah. Fear is a traffic it's an signal. <laughs> Drive in India once, you'd be like, traffic signals are cool. I true. like those things, man. They're helpful. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So it's just a signal. No, absolutely, because. That just ultimately creates a community because there's so many yeah. people suffering in silence that you never would have known, you know. And yeah. it's like if they only told me. And- yeah, my old deal is like I got asked by this really, really great college football player this year, how do you make sure you're a great teammate? I'm like, man, my deal is be the first to the hurt. If I can be the first to the hurt yeah. and I can stay on the hurt the longest, that's how I measure myself. Like, hey, am I willing to hurt first and most? And we have like in the SEAL teams, you have 16 guys willing to hurt wow. the first and most. You got some barrel-chested freedom fighters when that's happening. When everybody's trying to be the most responsible. Like, I've been in units where we were arguing about who was who the fault was. Oh, it's my <laughs> fault. I'm like, you weren't even here. You were on leave. It can't be your fault. No, I should have told you better. I'm like, nope. You're, there's arguments, and we're all trying to take the most blame. Like, uh, no, it was my fault. I should have done better. Like, I'm taking the L. Yeah, me. that's it. That's the whole deal. Like, when, you're the, when you want to be the first to the hurt, I want to be the first to hurt, and I want to hurt the most. And you're arguing with dudes who gets to hurt. No, I want to hurt this time. Like that's a good, that's a good system to be in, right? And yeah. and and so my deal is, you know, find those people and be those people, right? You know, be what you want to find. And you have a being what you want to find has a lot to do with actually finding it when it comes mm. to relationships. That's really well said. Yeah. Mm. So. No, that's amazing. I mean, you've done so much work, like. Just, I feel like that kind of comes naturally to you too. Just well, like I think the it's because I wasn't. Be better. I think I always had to find a system. I yeah. wasn't really talented enough to just show up and be good. So I had to figure out the mechanics of it. Like my gift is not being gifted, because I got to figure out the system. Like if you're bigger than me, but I'm lower than you, I'm stronger than you. Mm-hmm. If you're faster than me, but I know where you're going, now I'm faster mm-hmm. than you. Like mm-hmm. what's the mechanical advantage? Yeah. And I think that's you know served and continue to serve me well is under is understanding a system and if there is no system i build a version of one and then i modify as needed based on success or failure i love that no that's it's, really well said yeah it's like cooking in the kitchen yeah. <laughs> Dude, don't, don't cook it the same way last time so no 100 yeah i mean that's the best mentality that you can have well, good absolutely but i wanted to ask you this is a little bit of a deep question so if you need a moment to remediate sure. it's fine Describe to me the worst day of your life and how you overcame that, and then we'll have a positive to follow the best day of your life. No, I've got to, I, that's it's 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 not a hard it's not a hard question to answer. There's just been a lot of worst days in my life, and well, there's many mess days time. in my life. Right? Yeah. Like worst day of your life is when you find out your dad passed away. Right. Yeah. Best day of life is when you find yourself doing things you love to miss most about your dad. Right. Every one of those maps has a best mm-hmm. and a worst day on it. And my deal is not, I'm not about trying to avoid the worst day. I'm just right. like, hey, man, things are going to happen, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so for me, it's a, it's, I mean, that's an example of one, you know. Um, but for me, there's no degrees of worse. There's, you know, there's, there's bad, average, good, better, and best, right? And so my deal is like, you know, there's just a lot of examples of that, but there's more examples of best than worst. Yeah. And the best has always come out of the worst, right? Absolutely. You know? um, so that'd be an example of it, losing my dad, losing friends, yeah. right? And then um, the best is, man, there's there's more of those, right? So it's only a hard question to answer because there's so many of both. But there's more of best than worst for mm-hmm. sure. 
I believe that too. Yeah. I believe there's more good people than bad people. I tell people all the time, like there's three kinds of people in the world. There's good people doing good things, good people doing bad things, and bad people doing bad things. And there is evil in the world. There are bad people doing bad things, and you deal with them the way they make you deal with them. I was like, bad guys got to vote. Stop it. No. <laughs> Stop it. Or. No. Okay. I told you the or. Now it's coming, right? But that that population of bad people doing bad things is incredibly small. Mm-hmm. Like 0.00001% of the world. There are far more good people doing bad things and good people doing good things. And when good people are doing bad things, you got to step back and go, why? Right. Like, oh, man, that guy's acting like he's got nothing left to live for. Well, does he think he has anything to live for? That guy's making decisions no good man has made. Well, has he ever been around a good man? Is he just doing what he thinks is good because that's what he's been exposed to? And that's what we do in the military, in the special operations community. Man. We try to go to places and, and, and we try to radically impact the economics, education, health. There's, there's three qualities exist in any region where we've had to go and fight. There's limited economic opportunity, the suppression of critical thinking, mm-hmm. and there's the marginalization of the female voice. If those three things are there, evil's going to be there because there's no resistance to evil. Mm-hmm. So you go there and you try to erect one of those. Hey, can I create economic opportunity? Can I enhance and enrich critical thinking? Can I establish equity uh, between the genders, right? And if you can do those things, you can change an environment. But if someone's acting like they got nothing to live for, step back and go, man, do they have anything to live for? Do they think they do? If I show them they have something to live for, will they stop doing bad things? Most of the time they will. Yeah. You make it safe to go from bad to good, and a lot of people, most people go to good. Yeah. Something that I've learned and I just feel like I kind of naturally am equipped with is just, and this is something that helps me and may help other people, is just not taking things personal. Like if someone's mean to you, yeah. it's their own hurt. It's not a personal attack against you. Yeah, I think Eleanor Roosevelt said. I feel like Roosevelt instead of being said, reactive. I think Eleanor, <laughs> yeah. I, I could be wrong on the attribution, but I think Eleanor Roosevelt said is you'd worry less what people think about you when you realize how rarely they do. Yeah. Like it takes well energy to wish ill upon someone. And really I think does. everybody's redlined anyway. And and like the way I do it, you know, I just like, for me, it's Genesis 50, 20. What, what man intended for evil, God will use for good. And somebody's that like, gives me chills. I just got to do what God <laughs> wants me to do. And if I'm doing what God wants me to do and you mess with that, you're messing with God, which is not going to go well. And if I'm not doing what God wants me to do and you interrupt that, I may come back and thank you one day. Like, hey, remember that time you screwed me? Uh well, thank you, because it stopped me from heading this way. I shouldn't have gone on anyway. So, And again, you know, the whole you'd worry less about what people think about you when you realize how little they think about you. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a lot of time to sit around and go like, I don't like that guy, I don't like that guy, I don't like that guy, he's a jerk. Yeah. Like the scene in, uh, in, uh, National Lampoon's Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And then he's like, hey, you're cool, you're cool. He's like, kiss my ass, kiss his ass, right? Yes. So. <laughs> No, 100%. But when you said Genesis 50-20, I actually just got chills because that's part of, like, checking your mates. And yeah. ultimately, I was praying for my pain, my lowest, to be turned into purpose. And yeah. it actually used to be in my bio and, like, one of my favorite verses. I have several, but do you know the rest of that verse? Finish it for me. For God intended it for good. What yeah. is being done now, the saving of many yeah. lives. What man intended for evil, God, yeah. for good for the saving of many lives. Yeah. 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 So when you was, look at it that way, you're like, okay, something good's going to come with this. And then it begins to lose its power of you immediately. Yeah. So. Absolutely. That's my anger verse. That's how I keep from. That was my anger verse. That's, too. Why, that's <laughs> how I keep from turning green like the Incredible Hulk. Like, yeah. Oh, calm down. That was in my anger phase of grief. And it was more so directed at people blaming me. Because, of course, like after suicide, people want someone to blame, right? And that's human nature. Mm. So again, I didn't take that personal knowing it's human nature. And people who were close to him didn't blame me. People who had just partied with him, met him like twice, had gone and drunk with him, would post crazy things. I almost had to change my number. I had my mom screen my calls. It was horrible. Yeah, I had a block. I, I struggle people. sometimes to find the redemptive qualities of mass social media. I know. So I you just know. got off of those for a bit, but... Yeah, I mean, that is natural to want to blame someone, but it's something that we as society can do better when it comes to a suicide is, okay, like, what or why did you do it? And people often ask, like, why or what signs were shown? And signs are so nuanced 
and different for each person. Like I, sometimes there's signs, sometimes there's not signs, you know? And like, I don't think that's a productive Black swan is what everybody thinks they should have seen, but they couldn't. Now you know now, like 9-11 makes sense in retrospect, but at the time, you know, it's a phenomenon that kind of surprises you. And and the reality is is most people evidence one of these signs Mm -hmm. at some point in their lives. It's just them in totality with this context, right? So again, that's why I come back to prove it, you know? Yeah. Hey, how you doing? Good. Prove it. I love that. Yeah. That, and I do it to myself. Like, there's one of these things where, I, like, when somebody's clinging, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm good. And I just make myself prove it. I'm like, and here's why I'm good. Yeah. You know. And someone who is, at, like, kind of curious how they can check on friends, that's, again, a great takeaway. Prove it. Mm-hmm. And even themselves, if they don't have many people to turn to, to ask themselves that, prove it, to force yourself to think of something you're proud of that you've accomplished 100%. or something that you're grateful for. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. why I'm asking people is because I had to do it myself. Like, hey, you just told that person you're good. Why are you good? Because you want to be or is there evidence to say you're mm-hmm. good? And like, well, both. Yeah, yeah. that's good. You know? And uh, but yeah, the evidence is there. We just got to remind ourselves of it. 100 percent. That's such a strong mentality. I admire you so much. <laughs> hey, man, there's something about just making it through another day, right? Uh, it's like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, again, I come back to, I've lost so many friends and so many people yeah. that you just kind of go, man, imagine. I gotta use my time. Like, how do I use my time? Uh, uh, you know, how do I, how do I steward the days that I've been given? And how do I add, value, how do I add purpose to my days in a way that brings honor to the memory of those I love and miss, right? So, mm-hmm. Because um, I can't bring them back. So what yeah. I do is uh, live out the things I learned from them with the time that I have, right? And so, um, yeah, but you got everybody has got to have this system, this framework. Like, my deal is like, hey, find maps that matter to you. Look mm-hmm. at life as living on these maps, right? Find evidence to support that you're good when you say you're good because the evidence is probably closer than you think. And if you're just trying to convince yourself you're good, great. Just give you ways to prove to yourself that you're good. Right, that next breath, that next smile, that next phone call, all those things are evidence that, you're, that, you, that you can and are and will be doing good someday soon. But there's several resources that exist. Like if you ask yourself, hey, I'm not good, there's resources that I'll make sure to link for you guys. And there's always someone to talk to. I'm available as well and can point you in the right direction if I'm not able to help. Yeah, and here's something so important. Anybody who watches this or listens to this, I'd encourage you to go to Google, type in I'm not okay, and watch. Boom. Watch the awesome. watch the returns on it, it it would be you'll be surprised by the resources that become available by Googling I'm not okay. Wow. It's pretty shocking. It's and encouraging. Because one you find out that hey, there's other people that are not okay too. I'm not terminally unique. I'm not the only one that's broken. Yeah. Right? So that's what Hemingway say. All, all of us are broken, and most of us are better at the broken places, right? Mm-hmm. So, lots of resources. No, that's incredible. Yeah, and also, going back to what you were saying about authenticity and vulnerability. So, I'm usually a very private person, but for whatever reason, I just completely was like, it's kind of a blur when you're grieving or you go through a traumatic event. I don't know if you can relate to this, but I coped by, again, feeling everything I need to feel. And I was posting videos on TikTok, but it was more so to turn it into art and pay my respects and honor mm-hmm. the life of Cameron and just happy memories. And I did not expect it to go viral. So many people were like, wait, he looks so happy. What happened? And didn't even share the cause of death till months later because I f- prayed a lot about it. And I wanted to turn it into a purpose. And then people are saying, just seeing your grief, I can't do this to my girlfriend now. Um, I'm a man and I've been watching this on repeat several times crying. I'm finally getting the help I need. I can't, I can't do this to my girlfriend. So just being like speaking your truth and people seeing kind of the aftermath that's, you know, and just knowing like, okay, but I felt bad because like I didn't have solution so it's like male perspective like yeah. from you like you've um you've played in the nfl you're still an entrepreneur and just hearing takeaways on how you stay strong how you hold yourself accountable and your friends to make sure that you're actually doing okay is invaluable yeah. like that's what i was lacking before the male perspective and guidance on takeaways and like and a lot saying, of times you know i i tell you like most good people want to count more than they yeah. cost and so what happens is you feel like you start costing more than you count, and that virtuous part of you will go, 
hey, maybe it would be better if I stopped costing so much. Mm-hmm. There's a goodness that's in you that's making you ask that question. But you got to remember that that's not your question to answer. Right. I tell my friends all the time, I was like, hey, man, you can ask if I'd be better off without you. You just don't get to answer it for me. Mm-hmm. Like, let me answer it. If you're asking yourself yeah. that question, don't answer it for me. It's my question to answer. You can ask the question, but I get to answer it. And the answer is no. There's no scenario where I'm better off without you. So ask okay. away, yeah. but don't answer for me. And when you tell people that, they're like, okay, I believe you. Hey, will you be better off without me? No, nah, I wouldn't be better off without mm-hmm. you. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, it's that it's the it's it's steering our goodness in the greater directions. I love that. You know? And I know you're saying that you've lost several buddies and sure. people, you know. So how do you continue to honor them in their lives and kind of live for them? Yeah, I mean, I think that's every day. Every day is an opportunity mm-hmm. to, to share what you what you miss most about someone and to share stories about them and all these and incorporate those things that you loved about them. I tend to live like I lived if they were still with me. If they were watching me, what would they want me to do? What would they not want me to do? The thing I learned from them, everything is a form of tribute, right? Um, You know, when it comes to grieving, what I tell people is like, man, when I've dealt with a friend who took his own life, I allow myself to be mad at him. Mm -hmm. Because the only people I ever really get mad at are people I love. And when I'm mad at people I love, what happens is I stop being mad at them over time and I just start loving them again. But it's an honest way, right? And then and then I find that I just miss them and love them again. Mm-hmm. Um, I just got to be honest with myself. I got to be honest with a person. And and that kind of creates this equilibrium between me and their memories again. And mm-hmm. I just keep taking the hill after that, right? And I try to learn from that and, and, and help people not make the mistake that, that, that was made in that person's life. And, and um, be honest about the whole thing. Wow. That's a really healthy way to look at it good yeah and that's natural you know to feel that in the grieving process yeah. it's like ebbs and flows <laughs> i only get mad at people i love yeah but i never like my, my, my wife's mad at me all the time because <laughs> she loves me a lot and then yeah. she's not mad at me then she's mad at me again and then she's not mad at me that's the <laughs> way of it right so yeah. you know we just gotta be honest with ourselves no, doesn't absolutely. mean we don't love doesn't mean you don't love somebody if you're mad at them in that's fact true. It, it, it might mean that you actually love them yeah if you're that affected yeah. and shows it you know yeah. love was there yeah wow um, describe to me an unforgettable experience while you were, um, I guess, from all the categories you described. Yeah. So from the field, the breakfast table, and while you're in the, seal, the battlefield, um, if you could share some unforgettable Man, experiences. Man, I, I mean, again, there's just, I'm just, <laughs> That's a lot to throw well, I just remember how, for, it makes me remember how fortunate I am to have so many opportunities for that. I mean, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's so many unforgettable things. You know, I wasn't here when my first daughter was born. So to kind of see her for the first time when she was seven months old, to wow. see my middle daughter be born, my mm. youngest daughter be born, um, to see people again that I didn't, you know, you know, something happens, you're like, man, I wonder if they made it. And all of a sudden you seem like, ah, you're good. And you're good. I mean, I just have, you know, raising a bowl trophy over my head with guys I love more than anything in the world on the football field after 20-some years at the Naval Academy. I mean, I have a, I have a library full of unforgettable moments, right? Um on each one of those maps. And that's kind of my story. My story is like mm-hmm. mass unforgettable moments on each one of those maps. And when you do that, what happens, it becomes really easy to answer why you're okay. Yeah. Hey, prove it. Oh, which map do you want to talk about? Yeah. I've got, I've got, I've got, it is, it is. And another thing for me is I try to look at when was my last most unforgettable moment, right? Like it could be on one of those maps or something relatively recent that's newly unforgettable, right? Massing unforgettable moments is, really life in a lot of ways right and and you can't you can't mass unforgettable moments if you're not willing to wrestle with fear well right and mm-hmm. and, and, and just put yourself in a position where you're a little bit scared but equally it's like that great scene in armageddon <laughs> like, i don't know man am I, maybe i'm 98 percent scared and two percent excited or two percent scared 98 like, can you make my seatbelts tied down really tight like i don't want to fall out of this thing you know that's that's i mean that's just a healthy perspective of life you yeah. know no so. that's really well said well, this pulls me into my last question. It's a little lighthearted, and I'll give you some time to ruminate on this one, too. Um, what's a funny story that only your family knows about you? Listen, I'm not doing this as a knee-jerk reaction. <laughs> when I say that that's another hard one to answer, <laughs> I try to live pretty out loud. So there's, I don't think there's... I think my family and my friends would argue on who has the funniest dumb story about Clint. 
Um, I just <laughs> tend to be pretty out loud. So I, I think I've done as many dumb things in front of my, my wife and daughters as I have in front of my friends. And <laughs> the, uh, so I don't know, I don't know what my family would tell you. Um, it'd be fascinating to hear their answer to that story, right? And we just, I was telling a funny story just earlier today because I do these things all the time. We have a very, very dear friend in our mm-hmm. kind of ecosystem of, of companies and, and, uh, his daughter is beautiful and she's married mm-hmm. to a guy and, and I met him last night for the first time and it was only really about maybe six months ago where I realized that was his actual name. Cause I thought my friend just didn't like his son-in-law. I was like, man, mm-hmm. he does not like that guy. He just calls him guy all the time. And finally I was like, man, what's his real name? He's like, his name's guy. I'm like, Oh, Oh, so his name's Guy. Like, I just thought you didn't like him and you were referring him to Guy. He's like, no, his first name's Guy. I was like, oh, well, that makes way more sense, right? But uh, <laughs> Guy sitting right there is like, really thought my name was, yeah, I didn't know what your name was. I thought he just called you Guy because he didn't like you. And now I know your name is Guy and the whole thing makes more sense to me now, right? There's a, man, you, you won't have to search hard or long to figure out the last thing that people were like, well, he did what? What did what? But that's part of life too, right? When you're not afraid to, you know, you just kind of, do stuff, take notes, and 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 listen to your friends. Right? I love that. Yeah. Oh, we have such a positive attitude. And I actually did forget to want, ask you one thing. Sure. Um, and it's a little bit more of a somber one. But are there any last words that really stuck out to you, like from any of your buddies that you lost, like any last conversations? <clears throat> I'll tell you. I remember my dad. My dad said something. Mm-hmm. It's funny. You know, I hear my dad, I'm older now than he was when he passed away. And it's amazing the stuff you hear later when someone, there's difference between hearing and listening, right? Mm-hmm. So I heard him and I listened to him now. And I remember one of the things that's really profoundly affected me. I went to see him in the hospital. This is big guys like me. And, um, and I, I remember I was up there by myself and I was a senior in high school. And he said, son, we got to talk about what happens if this doesn't work out. And I was not ready to hear that. I was like, nope, not, you know, you know, power positive thinking, all this other stuff. And I remember he grabbed me, he grabbed my wrist. And in Beowulf, there's a moment where they switch the perspective to Grendel. So Beowulf grabs Grendel's arm and all of a sudden Grendel starts talking. And he starts talking about how he'd never been grabbed by that before. And he knew he was grabbed by a hero, right? And that's the, that's the image that popped in my head when my dad grabbed my arm. I realized how physically strong he still was. And he looked at me and he goes, son, leaders talk about what they don't want to talk about. They say what they don't want to say. They listen to what they don't want to hear. And they plan for what they don't want to happen. And the willingness to do that is what makes them a leader. Mm-hmm. And that's just that kind of profound wisdom um, that I've kind of lived. And he used to say stuff all the time. He said, son, there's two kinds of people in the world, but it would change every time. So there's like 40 kinds of people in the world. Uh, but he's a big guy, so I didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he's like, son, there's been the walking room, say, here I am. And there's been a walking room, say, there you are. And I want you to be a there you are kind of man. Cause you didn't need to know that someone's been looking for you. And every one of those friends I've lost, I've got some piece of wisdom that was uniquely theirs, right? And, and obviously the ones from my father are the ones that I think about often as a father. Um, but if you give me enough time, I could come up with a hundred things that I never would have heard from anybody else before I lost them. And then I'm, you know, during Carry the Load, I helped start this thing called Carry the Load. It's a really special, really neat deal. And I was walking with the daughter of one of our friends that we lost and my daughter, and they're about the same age. And it was breaking my heart because, you know, why do I get to walk with my daughter and she didn't get to walk with her dad? And, and she's incredible and I love her and my daughter loves her. And, and I remember she kind of uh, met up with her mom and they were hanging out and um, my daughter and I kept walking. And she goes, Dad, are you sad? I'm like, yeah, of course I'm sad. I said, but I could be sad because I miss my friends, or I could be sad because I never knew such men. And I'll take this sad. I would rather be sad because I miss my friends that have never known a man like him, right? So you can choose your sad, and you can stay sheltered and, and isolated and never run a risk of losing anybody. And at the end of your days, you'll wish you'd have done it differently. Or you can choose the risk of being sad and missing people and the moments you had with them before you miss them will always be worth that so yeah yeah 
there you are. That's kind of that's that's. I've always loved that. I've always be a love being a there you are. You, you just got those people in your life. Where every time they see you, they look like they've been waiting for you the whole time. It's just the coolest it's thing. The best. I've got friends that are like, man, I've been looking for you. I'm like, <laughs> gee, that makes me feel so good. Do I owe you yeah. money? What I do? Do I do something wrong? But but it's just cool. And I've always wanted to be a there you are kind of guy, like my dad was, and like the best people I know were right. Mm-hmm. And so there you are. How you doing? Prove it. It. Like those three things. Hey, Prove there it. you are. How you doing? <laughs> Prove it. So that's incredible. No, that's really well said. I mean, with the human experience, like of course we're gonna experience pain. Yeah. But with all of that pain comes love, and it's better to have experienced that than not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Not like mu- museum pieces that are supposed to exist behind this like red rope that no one gets to mm-hmm. touch you. I always say, fear the unscarred man because he's <laughs> either lying to you or he's never dared, and both of those are dangerous. Love that. But how many lieutenants would you say you have in your posse? Like you're saying you have a great support system with your buddies and you've been able to build that for yourself. But um, how many people would you say you have to run with open arms that you can trust anything with? 34. That's I mean, incredible, it's just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, by design, man. I've kind of painted myself in a corner where... I'm just surrounded by people like, hey, dude, you, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a hard number. I mean, it's yeah. just, again, I'm never, I, 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 I will deliberately discomfort myself, but I will never deliberately disadvantage myself. Mm-hmm. You know, that's incredible. I seek discomfort, but not disadvantage, right? There's a that. difference between discomfort and disadvantage, Yeah. right? And I know the distinction. So I seek discomfort, but not disadvantage. Does that make sense? No, it does. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so again, another hard question to answer because yeah. I got a lot of them. No, that's a really high number, and that's incredible. Yeah. And just shows, you know, your courage to wear your heart in your sleeve, and you're that support for people in return. And yeah. as a result, you attracted that. But yeah. awesome. Um, if you wouldn't mind sharing with our listeners where they can find out more about Carry the Load, yeah, go to carrytheload.org. It's really amazing. Um, yeah, now's a great time to be looking at it because they're getting yeah. ready for the next year, next year's rally, next year's relay, and then amazing organizations like Adapt Your Training Foundation, ATF, and you know One Tribe Foundation with Jacob Schick yeah. and Twenty Two Kill. I mean, there's, um, yeah, there's just no shortage of amazing people doing amazing things, it's right? Incredible. Which again, this is there's so many resources. It would be interesting to see what the page one is on Google when you type in "I'm not okay." Yeah, I'd be really interested mm. to see what that is today. I'm curious as it, well. Because it grows every time, right? Yeah. Because more and more people are willing to ask that, willing to say that. It's true. And and more and more people are willing to have good answers for it when that gets said. Yeah. So. Well, that's really well said. Well, thank you so much for coming in. No, my pleasure. In. And again, this was I didn't fun. get a chance to thank you for serving. Thank you oh, so much for, for your working. time serving. I feel like we don't say that enough to our yeah. veterans, and it's something we can all be better at, including myself, just yeah. saying thank you for serving. If you see someone in uniform, thank them. Yeah. I always say I challenge all of you. I always go, uh, uh, thanks for being worthy. And I mean, I started doing this 10 years ago. And when I said it the first time, people were like, what? I'm like, yeah, thanks for Because that's what you're wearing. Yeah. You're on the side of some mountain going, man, I hope these people are worth it. All of a sudden, you come home and you see some gal teaching for her 25th year in a disadvantaged school district. Like, oh, she's worth it. You see some firefighter, police officer, like, well, they're worth it. You see some single mom working two jobs to give her kids something like, oh, she's worth it. Yeah. And there are no shortage of people that are worth it if you broaden your aperture enough to see what sacrifice looks like in their world, right? Wow. So... Yeah, thanks for being worth it. So well said. Thank you for being worthy. You bet.